All right. Hi, everyone. Welcome to the Lola Community Podcast. Today feels so fun and different. We're kind of turning the conversation around today. Um, And I have a friend named Robert. Hey, Robert. Hey, Pleasance. (laughs) And he asked really good questions about whenever we're kind of talking about business stuff and life stuff, he's always asking these really thoughtful questions. And over the past few months, I've had a number of people ask about my kind of personal story building Little Ohm and Lola Community and teaching at AU and all of these different um, things I have going on in life. And I thought it would be fun if we actually just recorded a conversation about some of this history um, so that you all can learn a little bit more about behind the scenes, which I love, love, love talking about. So Robert is going to take over the show for today. Thank you. And uh, thank you for for doing this or allowing me to do this. Um, So I am going to um, uh, do just a a slight little setup and then uh, I'm just going to ask you uh, some questions. So I'm sure you don't remember this, uh, but it's kind of like how um, I think I think it's important to, to talk about how our family has kind of come into uh, your community and kind of how at least I met you. Um, so it was maybe two, two or three years ago. Um, you were with your daughter selling Girl Scout cookies with her troop out on uh, Connecticut Avenue. Mm-hmm. And it was, I remember it was cold out. And, mm-hmm. uh, but there was a lot of, it was like a Saturday, there was a lot of people out and maybe there was, you know, some street theater, or maybe you know, someone playing uh, a guitar or something like that. And uh, you saw uh, my wife, uh, Jill, or, or y- y'all saw each other and started talking. And uh, I had no idea who you were at all. And you were talking about uh, social work and uh, uh, DC public schools. And um, and I think you may or were, were just starting as uh, adjunct at American University. Anyway, we walked away and I was like, who was that? And, and, and Jill uh, said, um, do you remember Little Ohm uh, Yoga Studios uh, back when our kids were, we have kids around the same age. Yeah. Um, and I said, yeah, she goes, that's her, that's Pleasance. Um, and I was like, oh, okay, so, okay. So fast forward a little bit, Jill sends me uh, a newsletter and she said, this is really interesting. We should do something like that. And it was about um, couples uh, planning, uh, couples retreat, planning, you know, planning for the household uh, finances, but more than finances, uh, goals, hopes and dreams, thoughts and prayers, you know, all, all that stuff. Uh, we, we actually uh, did that. Uh, uh, but um and I was like, yeah, this is interesting. And, and then um, I still probably didn't put it together anyway. So through that, I uh, had signed up for your newsletter. Mm-hmm. Then, you know, Jill was building up uh, her own business at the mm-hmm. time. And um, uh, she had a couple of clients that were uh, troublesome. And I was like, you know, one of the great things about being an entrepreneur is that you can fire your client. You don't have to work with people you don't want to work with. And 
Um, there was one newsletter in particular, I can't remember the exact headline, but it was something yeah. like, do you ever wake up already feeling behind? And yeah. I was like, Jill, remember that? <laughs> remember that woman? Uh, remember that chick on the street? <laughs> yeah, you have got to, you know, so uh, like I said, our, our family uh, has either directly or indirectly, yeah. um, you know, come to benefit from uh, your community, uh, you know, either through the podcast or some of the tools and things like that. Um, so we were talking about something unrelated and I had some questions about, um, okay, so is it little Ohm or is it Lola? You know, what, <laughs> tell me, so, um, uh, so, so if you could just, why you said, and you said, I get that question all the time. So, yeah. Why don't you take uh, the listeners through a little bit? So, so you started uh, your, um, you know, as a educator. I don't yeah. want to say started, but you, you, you know, you were working as an educator, and then little. So walk us through a, a little bit of that. Yeah, I think it, one of the things I know now, looking back. Oh wait, before I say that, it's been such a joy to get to know your family better and like keep growing together. So so fun to hear that. I I remember all of those same memories. Um, and one thing that I do want to put a pin in and go back to is actually on the street that day that we met. We I had just stopped drinking or been a year in, or it was something like that. And so I actually want to talk about drinking because I haven't talked about it again publicly since I wrote about it on the blog. And I just kind of want to update people with that. So anyway, I'm putting a pin in that. You're right. Okay. Because we did uh, talk about that. And I remember yeah. um, it being really interesting just publicly because I had done a blog about our marriage and drinking and how it was a part of it. And so anyway, okay. So I'm going to be 43 in May which we're recording in March. And so I think it's really amazing to be this age. What a gift and a privilege because I can now see all these pieces and parts of the puzzle that are now sort of like the hindsight, right? Is like, oh, that's why that was there. And that's how that came to be. And like this threading weaving piece. And I think most creatives have that. I think most entrepreneurs have that. I don't, I consider myself more of a creative or social um, community builder than I would say entrepreneur. Cause in my mind, an entrepreneur is someone who wants to like grow and sell a business and like do that repeatedly. I'm not actually ever interested in selling my businesses. I'm always interested in like moving them and weaving them or releasing like the national kids yoga conference we started that six years ago, I just like opened it, started it. And then I backed out and like pushed it forward. So, um, that's a difference between, I don't, not really considering myself entrepreneurial. Um, so when I was a senior in college, I'm not going to go back and like do all these like little pins, but there is a an important part here. I lived in Israel. And one of the things that I learned in Israel was how, um, complicated, um, ethnicity, religion, social dynamics. I'm, I was sociology major and psych. And so I was looking at the state of Israel through the lens of what was happening with Palestinians, what was happening in neighborhoods, what was happening with secular Jews versus religious Jews versus um, uh, Russian Jews, which are like their whole other breed in Israel. And I left Israel 
thinking that I would become a Jewish educator. I left Israel thinking we need to do so much more work around humanitarianism and being better humans because what I was seeing in Israel was the exact same racial relations I was seeing in DC, in DC as a social worker, as a social work major um, in my uh, placement work with blacks and whites in DC. So the reason I'm saying that is because in present day Lola land, you see a lot of racial um, justice activism. <laughs> you see a lot of Hebrew and, and Jewishness coming through. And I just want to say, you know, that all happened in college, happened in Israel, happened in social work um, and in placements. And it's so beautiful to kind of come back full circle and be able to pull those threads into our community now, because it was not always the case. So I was a teacher in DCPS and then basically got like drafted to help be on the founding board of this school, Septima Clark Public Charter School, which is where I met Rita, um, who's a co-teacher, um, co-conspirator for Lola Land. And we were at Septima Clark together. In April of our first year, when I was the director of curriculum and development, which is like AK the principal, because there's a founder and then someone who's in charge of teachers and students and families. And Rita and I were out of the building and um, there was a shooting at our school and one of our employees staff members was killed. And I broke down and basically quit very short after, shortly after that, saying like, we need more security. My teachers don't feel safe. And that means I can't protect the boys of our school. And so I was in disagreement with the board and the head of school who are all the founder of the school, um, who were just like, we can't do that this year. And I um, just could not continue to get up and go there and, and try to work with my teachers and the boys. Um, without feeling safe during the shooting. And so it was very, very traumatic. And it was kind of like put a pin in my turning away from education and really, you know, Mel's biggest fear when I worked in DCPS was always safety. And I always wanted to prove him wrong around stereotypes of Southeast DC. And so I felt like the day I came home and told him about the shooting, I felt like a dog with a tail between my legs. Like I just felt so sad and ashamed that the thing he had been so afraid of, which was a shooting, especially at that point, I'd had many students whose parents had been killed um, or, or families who had kids who'd been shot. Like there was just a lot of violence in the schools that I worked in. And I always, um, Anyway, that's like a whole other thing. But the, the point is that I really felt so deeply sad and, and traumatized by this happening at our own school and feeling like I was proven wrong. Um, and I've only really been able to work that out in the past few years in therapy around how traumatic that situation was and how to pull apart my relationship with um, black communities, with gun violence, with violence in schools. Um, other shooting, other school shootings that have happened, I've like 
been paralyzed and then gone for a run and cried and then realized like, oh, that's still in me. Like that fear is still in me. That memory is still in me. So it's something I think I'll, I'll just always work with. But that is why I left because of the shooting. Um, and I really, I'd already been practicing yoga. I'd already longed to be a teacher of yoga and was doing teacher, had done teacher training. Um, and so I really just turned full heartedly towards yoga and wellness to heal myself through everything I had just been through and witnessed. And then was pregnant with sailor, like a minute I left, I left the school. So basically turned towards motherhood and yoga. And that's where the dream for little Om yoga came to life. Cause I was literally so big in my body. I didn't fit into all the like downtown studios anymore. Cause they had these little teeny tiny X's for all the like tiny yogis. And then there I was like big mama. And, uh, I was like, we need a place that like allows larger bodies. Like this just is not working. So that was so fun to create and dream. And um, really like envision a place where families were first and there was childcare and uh, baby yoga and family yoga and prenatal seven days a week. It was really fun. Um, and <laughs> then things started had, to kind of- You had uh, one studio or two studios? Or? Uh, we had all different kinds of things. We were open, our studios were open for eight years. We had like, sometimes we rented, we rented spaces. Sometimes we had- um, partnerships with a studio in Virginia. Then we had a uh, studio in Palisades and we had one in Tenleytown and we had pop-ups in Georgetown. Mm -hmm. um, just like a whole series of relationships and partnerships. And it was so wonderful. And then that's when I had Sailor and Milo. And so it was so fun because I had them at the studios and they were taking, you know, part of all the classes and meeting great people. And it was a really fun time. Um, it was really fun. And it, and it was a lot. <laughs> it was like, yeah. I did not know how to run a business. Uh, I learned, I mean, I was like so passionate about learning and getting coaches and, um, and just really taking the business part seriously. I felt a real responsibility to do that. Mm -hmm. Um, and then just kind of, I think like typical business, um, flow is like, people kept saying like, how many more are you going to open? And then like every year we'd sort of hit like 30 classes and the next year would be like, now we need 40, you know, it'd be like, I'd have a staff of like four. And then it would be like, now we have 14. Like it felt like this thing that kept growing and growing and growing. And then just became this like huge, I could not like breathe. Cause I, I couldn't stop that from expanding. I mean, I could have, but I didn't know that I was so caught up in like the more, more, more culture. Mm -hmm. um, and I really didn't want more. I just wanted like to quiet down. <laughs> I wanted to like go within. I wanted to have a much quieter, more simple life. Truly I did. And I didn't know how to get out of what I had created. Uh, it was really, really hard. Um, and then when the building went up for sale, there was like this opening it was like, maybe we won't stay here. Maybe we won't be able to stay here. I took all the money that we had saved that year in 20, I think it was 2015 and hired a business consultant. And we sat, we looked at all the numbers of what the increased rent would be. And the decision she told me, here's your options. You have to add CrossFit. <laughs> 
uh, you have to increase here's, this was the, this was the like math problem she was drawing out. Right. She was like, you have to increase membership dues and lower teacher pay. <laughs> and I was just like, no, I don't want CrossFit at little home yoga. I don't want to pay my teachers less and I'm not going to charge our families more. So she's like, great. Then you have your answer. Like, then you, you don't, don't sign this new lease. <laughs> and I was like, okay. So I didn't. And I told everyone and I told everyone. So typically in, when yoga studios close, uh, there's a thing where it's like, you go to show up for class and like, it's locked and it's like, we're closed. <laughs> That's what had happened in the past with some other people's studios. And, um, people were upset and of, as they should have been. And so, uh, I was like, we're going to tell people and we're going to tell people early so they can take, use up all their class passes. We're going to tell people early so they can enjoy each other's company and get phone numbers of friends. And like, we're going to have a huge party to celebrate the end of this. Um, and that's exactly what we did. Um, financially, my husband just like shook his head at me. Like, this is so not smart. Like you're going to lose so much money. Um, and I was like, I don't care. I just want to do the right thing. So we had, I told everyone um, in November, so it was no, or October, like November, December, we, we still had full schedule, full classes. I still paid teachers, but I didn't have income, but I didn't have people buying new things because we were right. closing. Um, and then we had this huge blowout party uh, in December. It was super fun. We had a DJ, there's all the kids dancing. And then we closed and I spent all of January moving out. I went into about $20,000 worth of debt to close that way. So, it, <laughs> and so from, you know, Phoenix rising from the ashes, is that uh, how Lola was born or how does that? So yeah. So I was like, that? little ohm, little ohm. I don't necessarily want to keep doing babies and families. So like it took almost a year and a half after the studio closed, you know, I, I, I didn't quite know what to do with the name little Ohm because it had, it was sailor. Like she was our little Ohm. That's like what the whole thing was having a baby and mom and baby yoga and like growing the family. But little Ohm had 2000 people on a mail email list mm -hmm. and little Ohm had SEO of at that point, eight, nine years. It was like, I can't, it didn't make sense on the business side to rebrand and lose all that history, especially because so much of what I've shared with everybody over the years, like that was the stage of life that I was in. I was just really honest about like, oh, this motherhood thing or this parenting thing or this wifing thing, like all of these things, this life stuff. And so over like we closed in 20 January of 2016. I wrote my book delight to sort of like find my way back to yoga and like separating my love for yoga with the overwhelm of running a yoga business. Mm -hmm. like those are very, and then being so far in debt, like there was just kind of all of these different pieces. And so writing is how I heal and writing is how I create and writing really helps me process what's happening in life. So writing delight was delightful because I could just really sit and do that and, and really remember the story of how it came to be. And through that time, that life piece kept coming up is like, at that point I was doing lifestyle coaching, right? I was doing Ayurveda lifestyle work. And so I was on retreat, um, I remember it was Yom Kippur, mm -hmm. fall 2017 or 
yeah, it was 2017. Cause it was after my book. It was a year after. And I was like, little ohm life, light. Like it was like, oh, we could take the piece of little ohm, but add the rest of the, the cycle and let's teach people how to live this way. So that's where the little ohm life Academy, which became Lola. Um, so that's really no what I know. Cause <laughs> I don't really use that. Cause Lola is so much more fun to say right. for me and like a container of like our sort of feminine energy and like just rising, but it really, Lola really stands for little ohm life Academy. And, um, then I added community in 2018 or 2019, like officially to the, the logo and the website, um, the podcast, and just started really adding the community because the thing that really shifted since the studio closed was I played around. Okay. So the studio closed and for about a year, I played around with just one-on-one, one-on-one yoga, one-on-one clients, um, one-to-one work. And what I realized was I was having the same conversation with people over and over and over and all day. And people thought they were the only ones. So they're thinking something's wrong with them. Meanwhile, I'm having all these conversations about the same stuff with people saying, no, no, you're normal. This is normal. I just had the same conversation. (laughs) And because I've now done this for so many years, there's like certain things that come up in different seasons that again are very normal. And so I really wanted and have, and we're still doing it to shift the energy of our community to community care, not self-care and self-care happens within the community care, but we have to normalize what's happening seasonally. The Ayurveda teachings give us so much of that, but also the life stuff that we're all experiencing. We're not actually that unique at all. We're so much more like, we have like our little individual things, but for the most part, we go through so many of the same things. And so I really shifted away from doing one-on-one to community and to groups and to circles. And I will see people one-on-one who are part of something else, like who are still, so like I have a a grief client right now, because I'm really doing a lot of grief and death work. Um, and she's also part of some of our other groups um, or she'll pop into those. So it's, it's, it's not just like, you know, I feel like I, I like to see people one-on-one as long as they, they understand there's a bigger circle around right. them, that they're supported by others in different life stages. Right. And that really feels like the sort of nod towards elevating humanity, you know? Right. All right. So um, we'll come back. I, I have some questions about, you know, current um, what's going on currently with Lola. Uh, yeah. But I just want the, the school uh, just um, it's still uh, a charter school. It's still Septima Clark. Yes. It closed maybe four years ago. Someone sent me the link when they closed. Oh, okay. um, yeah. They stayed open for a few years. Yeah. For a few years after um, but then they did close and I, yeah, okay. I did not stay affiliated at all. I left in very, um, tense. Yeah. Yeah. But, um, and we're going to get to some of your racial, uh, and, and justice work, um, uh, in, in a minute. Um, so 
you talked about writing delight. Uh, you have another, is, is it thrive is a, is a workbook. Uh, yeah. okay. Can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah, we have plan to thrive, which is like the conscious sacred marriage, feminine, masculine planning model that we use in thrive. And in a lot of our courses and conversations, um, again, because I was I sort of have this thing where I think everybody operates like I do. I'm sure we all have that in our own way. So when I have conversations with people and they're like, oh yeah, I don't plan my, you know, I haven't planned out this season or I've like never thought about working in time blocks. I'm like, what, how could that be? Um, that's what we all should be doing. Like, that's just like, it's funny. So I wrote plan to thrive because it, it really was a guide on terms of like how to work with our daily life and rhythm. When people say to me something like, how do you do all the things you do? I'm like, here's plan to thrive. This is exactly what I do. I look at the season. I look at the actual day. So plan to thrive is a free workbook that I made for people. Um, and then we also have the Lola workbook, which has like all the best coaching tools that's also free on the website i opened up everything last year um and that's really fun to go through too because it kind of has all of like the best coaching tools practices that we've been using for all these years and the ones that i used in order to like create a school create a national conference create a yoga studio close a yoga studio like all these kind of big things have been part of other mindset shifts for myself. And like, I've used a tremendous amount of books and resources and tools. And so that's what the workbook is, is I just shared all of that. What, and kind of also what I work most commonly with people on relationships, communication, boundaries, <laughs> uh, mindset, you know, things like that. Yeah. So from that, uh, you're a, uh, voracious uh learner uh reader i would say <laughs> and there's a, a stew is such a, a ugly word maybe a jambalai of uh <laughs> of sources that you um that you have pulled from uh yoga yeah. that you mentioned uh eastern philosophy social work organized religion um uh, Ayurveda, excuse me. I know. Uh, Kohenet, <laughs> pop culture. Am yeah. I missing anything? Uh, so, so what are some other sources that you have drawn that you draw from now? Or I mean, I'm in a really, really deep study of soul and spirit, and so I'm basically like I feel like when I open Little Om, I put myself through like a self-guided directed MBA where I read all business books, business podcasts. Like I, I'm really good at creating like curriculum for an area where I need to grow. Mm -hmm. So I did the business stuff with little, um, I long to go to seminary or, um, I'm doing Kohenet. So I will be clergy in three years or two and a half years now. But, um, if I finish that program, but like, you know, I long to sort of be in a PhD of, theology or <laughs> divinity school. And so, but I also don't want to actually spend a hundred thousand dollars to do that right now or learn Greek. Like I'd want to do a program where I could do Hebrew, but I also realize that I have an ability to create something and then follow through with it. It's just the way I'm, I'm built. And so I have created this soul spirit kind of curriculum for myself. So right now I'm reading 
like a lot of St. Teresa's work and kind of underlining it with her words on something called like the, the mansions and the castles of the soul that align with some more modern new age books. Carolyn Meese has one um, also called the castles and the soul. And like, I'm linking up the actual text with Caroline's book and trying to see what's interesting in there. Neither, you know, none of that is from Judaism um, in the way it's presented. So then what I like to do is pull my coherent resources to see where sort of the Jews were or like what's our view on that. And so that's what I'm in right now is kind of like really deep theology divinity. And here's why. Last year I took an inner voice facilitator training and I learned from a woman who created a program um, how to help people connect to their inner voice. was really interesting and really fun and I loved it, but it's left me with so many more questions, which is what are we really doing? Why am I doing this? What are you doing when you're in a session? What is that thing that's answering you? When you're in an inner voice session, is that your soul? Is that your, is that your intuition? Is that your brain? Is that part of your brain operating to protect you? Like, so I'm interested in psychospirituality layered with brain science, layered with the history of like how we think and talk about God and spirit and source and creation um, so deeply right now, because I've had all of these really profoundly like no words for experiences with divinity over the past year, especially this year was like definitely a portal of that for me. And also in Kabbalah, 42 is a very, very potent magical number for development um, because Kabbalah goes by sevens. So I don't get that. Like I have so many questions, like how do they know that? And how did that happen to me? And what's happening when I'm touching the trees and I'm like literally vibrating and having this like spiritual awakening um, I don't get it. <laughs> and like, I'm just really curious about that. Or when I'm leading an inner voice session and someone's just bawling, listening to their inner self and feeling so much love and feeling so much connection and joy. Like it's been so incredible to watch and hold space from that, but I'm not the type of person to just be like, Oh, and now that's it. That's done. Like it's just opened up this huge can of worms for me to really be studying the science of intuition and the history of theology and divinity and other people's lived experiences of sort of God and awakening, or I say goddess and awakening. Um, and I'm just in it. Like I'm all night. My dreams are about this stuff. Mm -hmm. I keep asking, please, can I have some rest tonight? <laughs> Cause I'm having, um, like really profound knowings that I, I can't explain. Like, I don't know how I know these things. So I feel like my intuitive qualities are strengthening and my abilities, my sensitivities and my abilities. And it's so beautiful and so amazing. And at the same time, I'm wondering what's happening to me. <laughs> so I'm studying other people who it's happened to. <laughs> 
Was that a lot? Yeah. <laughs> not, you're like, wait, what? <laughs> no, I can't. <laughs> I did can't not expect that. Goes. <laughs> um, so I, I'm going to shift just a little bit uh, from uh, mm -hmm. and just specifically talk about tools. So yeah. Uh, if you channel, say, the artist way, uh, there's two tools that the author um, lays out, morning pages and these kind of artistic uh, field trips. Yeah. So I know oh, from, yeah. uh, so, so you're, for me, I, I listen to a lot of podcasts and, and your podcast is on my rotation. So, you know, when it pops up, it always seems to pop up at the right time. Uh <laughs> And uh, so I've heard uh, you talk a lot about tools about like inner voice, about just, you know, meditation and breathing, about the importance of solitude mm -hmm. as a tool, uh, of course, about planning and kind of mm -hmm. front loading uh, uh, as, you know, I'm going to go on a trip next week. What do I need to do yeah. uh, so that I'm not under water when I get back? Uh, that type of thing. Seasonality, of course, which you pull from Ayurveda, I would think. Uh, um, movement, uh, grounding, you talked about touching the trees or, you know, getting on the floor, you know, that, that type of thing. So yeah. can you talk a little bit about tools that, you know, we talked about all these different types of philosophies that you're drawing from. Um, can you talk just a little bit about, about tools? Yeah. Or am I missing any? I and, mean, you know, can you add anything to that? Yeah, I think all of them have been so helpful at different stages. And this is the thing is there's not one because depends on like what's happening in the emotional body or the psychological body. And this also has shifted so much. Like I'll give you an example. There was a long period of time when yoga, the, po the postures themselves as they were being shared with me, right? Say you're in a yoga class and a teacher is saying, do this, do this, do this. You're like, ah, thank goodness. Someone else is telling me what to do. Now I can do it this way. You know, there's a container for it. Over the past year, especially with COVID and like not going to class and having, I always love to go to my friend Dina. She taught at our studio. I used to go to her class all the time. Once COVID happened, I couldn't like go to Dina's class in person. The online was really disconnecting for me. And so I just started doing a lot of my own intuitive movement, which I'd already been teaching in a course called Embody that we would do like once a season or over the winter for the past few years. So it wasn't that moving to intuitive movement wasn't, um, was new. It's just now it's like all I can do. It's like, even if I put on a yoga class five minutes later, I'm just like moving and breathing in my own way. And that's part of that intuitive uh, listening that's deepening is it's actually becoming much more difficult to have other people tell me what to do in physical form because mm -hmm. she, this like thing that's, that's growing in me, she just wants to like do her own thing and put on her own music. And, and so for tools, that's how I feel about writing is like, that morning pages is like, sometimes I wake up and I'm just like, bleh, like there's just ideas and creativity mm -hmm. flowing out into the page. And other days, like, I feel like she wants to be expressed through movement or trees or grass, like it, um, or touching plants. Like there's just like a very earthly realm. And I think that that's really normal for people who have like really transformative spiritual experiences because they're so ethereal, like they're, they're, 
they're, they're hard to touch and they're not tangible. So in order to stay grounded, the intuition right now is saying like, sit on the floor, sit on the earth, be barefoot, um, slow way down, right? In Kohenet, we have this whole thing around pace of your life. And what I'm noticing is that when creative force is like very big and expansive, like she is right now, so much is flowing through me so fast. So the tool I'm using now is like, I'll give you an example. This morning when I woke up, instead of lighting candles and writing and journaling and doing all those sort of normal morning things that I do, um, I went outside with a blanket and just, that's okay, went outside with a blanket and just like listened to the birds and stared at the sky. So I didn't like take anything else in. I didn't really read. I didn't listen to a meditation or anything. I just like paused and sort of connected for a minute. Mm -hmm. um, and that's different than a week ago when I was writing, you know, lighting candles and writing and reading all morning these, I'm reading this like Hasidic book on counseling that's just really interesting. And it's like spiritual and sometimes it feels good to take in and sometimes it feels good to pause. So all of those tools that you named are still in my life. And I think that's the other thing is that I think sometimes people think, oh, well, when I get to blank, I'll, I won't have to do blank anymore. And in my experience, yeah, I still have to have a movement practice every day of some sort. There still needs to be journaling every day of some sort. Um, artist dates are like, it's been so hard this year to not put on my backpack and just go which is something I've done for years. Like I'll send the kids to school and then I just wander the city by myself for a day. That's how I've done a lot of my artist dates over the years. And so this year I had to really, I kept changing my office, which felt like an artist date because um, I kept recreating my home space as an artist date. So I still do planning every single week, pen to paper. Like I'm just, a, today is Thursday. So I'm about to do next week. Um, it just doesn't, that's what I'm saying is like the tools are actually the same. It's just they evolve. Still, still using them, still yeah. flowing with them. Mm -hmm. And for me, they've provided so much spaciousness and abundance. Like I, I hate saying this cause I'm not trying to make anybody feel bad. I just want to say it. Like, I'm, I'm not trying to like brag or rub it in anybody's face. Like that's not my intention of saying this thing, but I really do have time to do anything I want to do. And the reason is because I put it on my schedule. <laughs> so like, to me, I'm like, when people say like, oh, I just don't know how you have time for that. I'm always wondering like, well, how do you not? Like, what are you doing right. with that other time? And I don't mean that in a rude way. I just, I'm very curious about what people are really doing with their lives when they say stuff like that. Because for me, I'm not like wicked smart. I'm not wicked. Like, I don't have like super superpowers. It's just like, I write, I write on the calendar, like, this is what I'm going to do. And then I do it. And that seems to be different than other people. Yeah. In my experience. Okay. So uh, there's a couple other things that I know uh, we wanted to talk about. Uh, so you, you said something about uh, more than self-care, but I, I know that self-care is important and uh yeah. um and then if we could talk a little bit about that and then we want to talk about uh 
sobriety or you know the sober curious <laughs> yeah. uh, that are uh, yeah. listening. So, so and they go hand in hand. Yeah. Well, well, I well, let me just say so with with self care. Um, my feeling is that if if a person doesn't do it, you know, especially moms or you know parents. Yeah. Uh, you got to take care of yourself because you're no good to to yeah. anybody else if you get sick or or worse or, or something. So if you don't take care of yourself first, uh, you know the the metaphor of of putting the oxygen mask on you and then on your baby. Right. Uh, so anyway, talk a little bit about self care and then and then if you yeah talk a little bit about um, about uh, about the booze. Okay, so. <laughs> I had adrenal fatigue and I lost like 50% of my hair after Milo was born. So I had, I had all these huge, um, stress bald spots when we opened Tenley town and I had adrenal fatigue, like another year after that. So I, I, again, because of that curiosity around, like, I have this like passion and drive to live this amazing life. I don't, I think it probably comes from a lot of trauma and childhood issues and mental health issues and like working through them. It's created this like very determined, very persistent, like nobody's going to come and fix this for me. I don't have an entitlement thing where I think I deserve something because of something. I just don't have any of that. Mm -hmm. I also don't have a lot of, um, uh, family chatter or narrative about expectations or self-critical stuff that a lot of my clients have because their parents were very control were like told them a lot of things that is still part of their psyche. I don't have any of that. And so I say that because um, when, after I had the adrenal fatigue and the hair loss, I was like, okay, this path that I'm doing to myself is not working. This does not feel good. And because I'm in wellness, it feels hypocritical to be teaching wellness and losing your hair. And so I was like, I can't do, I don't want to do that. So I really had shamans and acupuncture healing at every level. I've had three past life regressions now. Cause I do believe that some of it is not related to this life. Cause there are some things that held on where I'm like, I don't, this doesn't make sense for this life. So I'll use any modality talk therapy. Like I'm just really open to all of that. And so once self-care, once it was like, oh yeah, this thing is going to help you. I didn't really know what that thing was. And we, none of us grew up in homes where our moms were like talking about self-care. This is new, um, <laughs> new to talk about. Um, when I found lifestyle Ayurveda, I was like, oh, this just tells you how to take care of this body. Awesome. I also do not, if something presents itself and it makes sense, I'm like, awesome. I'm going to do that. So when every wisdom tradition invites you in order to live a conscious spiritual life says, wake up between four and six, I'm like, great, thanks for the recommendation. I don't push on it or question or rebel against something that has a lineage of evidence that it, like, this is what you do. Mm -hmm. So when I learned lifestyle Ayurveda, I was like, thank you. That's what I'll start doing. And so my, that's how, 
really Ayurvedic practices are the original self-care, how to nourish yourself, how to mother yourself. This audio book collection that I'm about to present this summer, sometime soon, little, little, we'll talk about exactly that kind of stuff. Um, but that's really what it is to me. Seasonal living, watching, uh, mood, emotions, relationships, and after years of really dropping into Ayurveda as the basis of my self-care, um, what happened was my intuition and intuitive power became stronger. The voice got, she got stronger and stronger and stronger. And so one day I was out driving, it was July, I want to say July 1st, and she, my whole body was like, stop drinking. And I was like, okay. And so this happens regularly where I hear something from the inside and it's very loud and it's very clear and I trust her and I'm like, got it. And I never quite know why the mind can make up a whole list of reasons why, but I wasn't really, I was considering myself at that point, someone who abused alcohol, but not someone who was addicted. Like I would go many days without it. But then when I had it and I had been drinking for so many years at that point, cause I started in teens, um, that when the voice was like, stop drinking, I was like, okay, fine, I'll, I'll do that. Six months later is when the, um, Kavanaugh hearings were, mm -hmm. and it was very, very, very painful. And I had a lot of, uh, past trauma come back through dreams and through other things. And I did it sober. And that was amazing to go through such a difficult time yeah. of revisiting trauma and uh, really difficult things. And to do it without drinking, I got so much stronger in my emotional body, in my psychological body of processing things, actually processing them. Mm -hmm. feeling them, letting them be here and not numbing out or coating it with alcohol. And so then six months later, like by that summer, I basically not been drinking for a year. And I, and then she was like, you can drink again. Like, it was kind of just like, you did a year. This really isn't that big of a deal. And ever since then I've been drinking wine and beer when I want to. So I have wine and Shabbat. I have, a, I love beer. So I have beer here and there. Um, and when I'm going through something very difficult, emotional, I do not drink. Like that's what I learned from that experience is I don't always use it as the only thing um, that I also know how to deal with really difficult emotional things that come up. So that was a really fun interesting experiment. And I learned so much more about myself. I don't judge anybody for anything, <laughs> to be honest, like drinking or not drinking. I think if you haven't taken an extended time, do it. Cause it's re you will learn so much about yourself and why one of the things I learned about myself that year was I go to, I was going to alcohol to numb the joy that life can bring. Mm-hmm. I would be like sitting on the couch with my grandma and my kids at her house before we sold it. And she was put in memory care and it, I would feel so much love and connection and I'd want to drink. So I wasn't using it on the other end when it stuff was hard. I tend to use it when I like, ah, I'm like, oh my gosh, things are so good. I don't want to feel this. So that I learned that that was really yeah. interesting. I, you know, I think a lot of people uh, drink uh, unintentionally or, or, you know, they do it for different reasons for yeah. 
boredom or yeah. uh, just uh, habit or like you're saying to get through a tough time or to get through good times, uh, you know, yeah. we need to celebrate, you know? Yeah. And, and so talk a little bit uh, if you could about, so someone is establishing uh, some, some, a routine, good habits. Uh, maybe it's getting up early and, and taking care yeah. of themselves or meditating or exercise or yeah. not drinking. Mm. Um, and they, slip, you know, uh, something happened. So, so talk a little bit about, uh, okay. You fought, fell off your routine. Yeah. Um, how do you get back up? Or, Which or is totally you... normal. I just want to normalize that. That's why we in Lola land always say 80, 20, not a hundred. So it's not a hundred percent of the time you're doing something it's 80, 20 for those, um, outcomes. But I think normalizing, like as humans, we, we stop doing things and then we wonder why we feel crappy. So we're like, maybe I should do that thing that was feeling good again. Like that's part of the spiral of life is like letting some things drop away and seeing how it feels, you know? Cause I also don't think you need to have like a 10 point checklist of like all the things you have to do. Like I do not regularly sit and stare at a wall and meditate in silence. Like that's not my preferred meditative practice right now at this stage. There were five or six years when I was in a Zen Buddhist community and that was what practice was meant to find rigid and I stared at a wall and that felt amazing. And now there's so much like creative force and like my Jew witchy stuff that like, she's just like, get me in the woods and that's meditate or like stare at the sky. Like, so I think if you feel like you've fallen off or you're not doing something, I always say to people like, find something that's so juicy and delicious that you're so passionate and interested about that. Like you can't wait to wake up early to go do it. Like this Hasidic book that I'm reading is like, oh, it's so good. So when I like jump out of bed and run down and get my coffee and water. Like I can't wait to read it because it's so authentic to what I'm doing. So like just my own unique personality. So like what will help you get reinvigorated? Like I said, like now I'm dancing all the time. I'm not really doing yoga anymore in the way that other people would define yoga. Mm -hmm. And so I think it's about connecting with the things that you, you are just like, I love doing that. Um, and I really want to do that. And you named that sometimes people drink because of boredom, I think absolutely. And then that's where like, I would dig down, like, who are you? What are you interested in doing? Do you want to write? Do you want to draw? Do you want to paint? Do you want to walk in the woods? Like we have to find things that we're so passionate and interested about. Otherwise it's, it's, it is easy to get bored. I think I don't have that gene. Cause I get so passionate about things and I become like obsessed. Um, but I want to help other people always find that too, so that they don't have to turn to boredom, that they can reach for the coloring book or the pen or music or life, or just things to reconnect to mm -hmm. your, your soul really, yeah. you know, I, I, uh, I want to talk about your racial justice work. Uh, but, but I want to kind of uh, lead into that with yeah. uh, the importance of of language and something that you talk about sometimes and and yeah. you, it's, you have some practical tips one time it was probably often comment to me when we were in conversation you said use these words when you're asking for something it was like is it possible to you know <laughs> so, so talk a little bit about racial justice we, we got some of the background on um yeah on uh 
on that, but uh, talk about how language plays into that and, and tell us uh, about what you're doing uh, now in the local community. Yeah. I'm not sure how the communication will fit in. We'll kind of see how that goes. But okay. um, so currently I'm teaching at AU. Um, they have a really progressive, like forward facing, quote unquote, anti-racist curriculum for every new student on campus. So I teach transfer students. That's my preferred um, demographic. And the curriculum is unapologetically anti-racist and names um, uh, a number of things that are non-negotiable for us that like our institution is built in white supremacy, that we um, have just a number of like pointed areas in which blacks and whites in this country um, have had a tremendous different experience in basically every category. And so in the past, AU, we did a little bit of dancing around certain subjects. And then after this summer, it was like, nope, this is what it is. So I'm always learning. I'm always messing up. I'm here for it. I'm leading a group right now, facilitating a group of church, white church leaders on through my grandmother's hands, which is a book on race and trauma. And so I, I'm in a leadership position and I'm in a justice reading group. So the reason I share that is because I have this adjunct position where I'm teaching about race and white and black and everything in between. I'm facilitating a group and I'm a student in a group. And so racial justice work for me is not separate from who I am and what I do. I watch black and brown movies. I listen to black and brown music. Um, I prioritize my black and brown relationships. Um, these are not things to be performative. I'm not sharing this so that I'm good and you're like, oh, I wanna be like her. I'm just saying that I actually don't have a way, when people say to me, where should I start or what should I do? Sometimes it's hard for me to name that because I don't have a way of pulling apart who I am with my love for uh, black culture. And that has been as long as I can remember. This is not separate from Pleasant's uh, China Darling, the, the childhood version of me. That's my, that was my elementary school name. Um, and it's always been a thread of my life. I've always prioritized black and brown experience and felt deeply connected to um, that experience. Some of it stems from the being, um, quite poor as a young child and like where, who I was exposed to and what that was like. Some of it is just passion and interest. Some of it I believe is lineage. Um, I've done some 23andMe and I think I definitely have some uh, roots. I think some of it is Egyptian. I think many of us had uh, in terms of Hebrew and Jewish identity have experience with black and brown and have those past lives. So um, for me, it just runs all the way through. And um, I'm so grateful that we are weaving it into Lola, that it's not an, it's not an add-on. It's not something different. Rita and I were doing race work at one of our retreats uh, the year that she kind of transitioned over to helping with leadership. I think it was 2018. Um, we didn't tell anybody when they came to the retreat and we sat in a big circle and we started talking about our uh, racist history and our ancestors. And it was one of the most incredible conversations we've ever had in Lola 
um, because people were so open about the shame and disgust of their family lines because of owning slaves, because of owning plantations, because of um, the way that some of the family members were treating black and brown people. Um, and we sat together and we held each other through the truth of this experience. And that is the kind of work I believe that will help us move forward is like together, not shaming, but we've got to say out loud what we're holding on to. We've got to be able to have places where we can heal together. And so that, I remember we left that day and I just, you know, I said to Rita, I was like, I feel like I've been working my whole life for that moment, for that conversation. Um, and so every single day that I'm here on this earth and breathing and living and teaching, like this will be part of it. It always has been, it always will be. It's unapologetic. It's for all of us to be better humans. And, and the, my Jewish piece and the Jewish activism piece is really complicated because Jews have a big story about how great they are uh, with social justice and racial justice. And a lot of times in Jewish circles, they'll be like, we marched in Washington. We were big part of civil rights. And then it's like, pause. I mean, like civil rights was like, not last year. I mean, so what, that's awesome that your family was part of civil rights. What have they been doing since? Because yeah. <laughs> it's like, hello. So there's, it's layered because I've been talking about this a lot lately and I'm going to have someone actually on the podcast who lives in Palestine and we're going to talk about Israeli Palestinian relationships and how difficult it is because I love Israel as a land. I cannot wait to take my kids there. I'm disgusted by Israeli politics and the hypocrisy of what a lot of modern Israel is doing to other groups in the exact way that has been done to us. It is very, it is, it's very difficult and complicated. So um, I want to continue to have those conversations where we're holding both and we're being honest about like loving our white families and being disgusted by some of their, our history. And how do we do that? So that's kind of like where I'm turning towards. You also do uh, work in grief and death. Oh. You want to talk briefly about that? Yeah, I just want to say that it, it basically, based on what I was telling you earlier about what's happening in my dreams, what's happening with intuition and kind of a, and this knowing stuff is definitely led, has led to this love and, and passion for and curiosity for death and grief and afterlife and spirit guides and, and the, all of those realms. And so it feels very natural. You know, when little Om started, it was all about birth and I did lots of birth work and birth education. And now I'm just, as I'm dancing through life, like getting closer to the other side of that, possibly, you know, myself. And so now I'm holding space more for those conversations and, and working with people as they're grieving. Um, it's the most beautiful, profound work. I feel so honored to be able to have the capacity to do that and the interest. And so for me, the death and grief work are layered right into the spirituality and the soul and the divinity and the God, like all of the other questions I have about life um, are playing out in the death work, if that makes sense. So for me, it, it, I'm in the process of, of having a, a lot of conversations and downloads right now around a death um, 
creation that is coming. Like I, I feel like I'm pregnant with this idea and it's going, it's in the process of being birthed. Um, and I'm not quite sure yet if it's a boy or a girl or trans or fluid, like, I'm not sure what this thing will be, but it is definitely around death and, and groups for death and death collective. And we're already doing some of that stuff in Lola, um, and have been, um, but I'm hearing how much our society needs to evolve this conversation and normalize death and grief and rituals and ceremony. And I was, and I am, I'm feeling very tapped on the shoulder that like, this is something I'll be helping move forward. It makes sense. Uh, I mean, this uh, podcast, this conversation has been about uh, transitions and and cycles, you know, a lot of the work, your your internal cycle, your daily cycle, not you, but you know, a person and the seasonal cycles the the cycles of your business, the cycle yeah. of uh, the work that you're doing, um, I you know I I think um, and maybe you'll agree this is a really transitional time uh, yeah. with uh, COVID and um, I think that um, yeah. a lot of people are you know this past year have seen you know what's really important and what they can do without um, and what they miss uh, yeah. and and things like that. So uh, anything about transitions uh, as we start to close out here? Yeah, I think that's, I think, thank you so much for naming all that. I see that too. And again, I think I learn from people sharing openly about their life. Like I learn through story. So, um, so that's why I'm often very open about transitions and changing and, and mm-hmm. letting go of things and being like, oh, like, I loved little Om yoga and it was time to close that chapter. So yeah. it's, that is, that's what I would say about transition is that I'm not saying it's not, it's like all just, you know, rainbows and unicorns. Like there were so many tears and so much identity, um, that I had to let go of. Um, if I wasn't going to be like the founder of little Om yoga, you know, then who was I? And that's just like, those are the questions that I contemplate all the time through all of these transitions is like, what's that pure essence underneath the labels of Mel's wife and sailor's mom and, you know, studio owner or author, any of that, like what is under there and who is she or he, and what are they here for? So um, that I think in itself is a transitional like journaling question is really powerful and looking for your own patterns and habits and but it, it certainly allowed you to meet a lot of people that and a lot yeah. of them followed you uh oh, to yeah. the lola community so real yeah. quickly yeah. uh let's talk about pricing because I, I know that you've talked about this on the podcast and uh yeah. your traditional transactional models and yeah uh, now you're doing kind of a value-based or subscription type of model yeah. Do you want to talk about pricing real quick yeah, I think it just like everything else that's ebbing and flowing. And as I like turn more towards um, like spiritual counseling and sort of clergy work, um, for me, a lot of it, we've lowered kind of the entry point. We made a really low cost, $33 a month um, model to subscribe to the Lola membership, which supports our online community, which is basically our own social network that's curated and without all the noise. Um, and the podcast and things like that, the circle, we're having a grief circle on Sunday morning at 11, um, you know, these monthly conversations and then everything else that has been offered is sliding scale. 
um, scholarship, pay what you can. We also did, I'm doing an Ayurveda in the mind course right now, which is so juicy, like Ayurvedic psychology. And it has a price, um, a range of prices, but we also do extended payment plans. And that feels so good. And there's no extra fees. Like there's, there's this whole thing in pricing around like, well, if you don't pay the full and you, you have to spread it out, then we're going to keep charging you more, which really like hurts the people who can't pay the most, right? Like it's kind of messed up how we do that to people and we keep shaming them. So, um, I've learned from so many wonderful teachers over the past few years, how to do this without shame. So it's like, if you're going to take the Ayurveda and the mind course and you want to pay 288, you can spread it out over a year. Just give, you know, give us those payments in that year. It's still 288. We're not going to keep charging you extra and extra and penalizing you for being poor, <laughs> you know? Um, so that's been really fun as a creative to find creative ways to do this work, to share these teachings. That's why I was like, I want everybody to have the plan to thrive workbook. It is, it's awesome. It will really help you. Same with the Lola workbook. Like, I don't want it to be behind this paywall where then you have to decide this way. Also, it goes back into your own personal responsibility. I'm doing self-assessment in all my university courses, which means you're getting to grade yourself. You're showing up for yourself. And it's the same. It's like, you can't hide behind, well, I can't afford that. Okay. Well, what if, what if that wasn't there? Would you then show up for yourself? Would you then read it and start planning your, your life out seasonally? Um, and that's why I want that door to be open for people. I feel really called to the legacy part of the work, meaning doors are open and people can come in um, and create that for themselves. So pricing has been super fun to play with. Yeah, I was going to say there's a lot of uh, free resources on the Lolo website. So listeners have not visited that, (laughs) uh, do so. So, you know, with that, uh, you know, so what's the best way uh, for uh, folks to get involved if they're not involved already? Do you want to talk about uh, the the Mighty Network? Um, It's a, a free download, I believe. Yeah. Just our, it's a social network. That's it. We've got podcasts and courses and other people are creating. Maylin and Rita are doing moon circles on Monday. And it's just really fun. That's a great way to connect with everybody. Always pleasant that little ohm. I still have that email that I answer myself every day. Um, so yeah. Great. Robert, and thank you for doing this. So oh, fun. it's my pleasure. Um, I'm honing my interview skills. And <laughs> there was no awkward silences. I, I <laughs> That's awesome. So uh, thank you very much for this opportunity. And uh, I learned a lot and uh, great. Thanks. Thank you. Take care.